With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real. You're already working hard to earn your money. But how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Tuesday, May 9th, and we are here trying to help you make solid financial decisions. Sometimes I think solid is good because it doesn't have to be the best and it doesn't have to be huge. It could be solid, you know, kind of meaningful, but not in a way that you have to blow up your entire life. And I think that's something we really need to keep in mind as we're navigating all the different choices out there. Remember, things aren't always just one or the other. Oftentimes, what we like to do is lay out different pathways. And you can choose which one is the best one for you. All right. So for example, we're going to do some emails today and I'm going to lay out some pathways. Let's start with, uh, this is from Paul who wants to save for granddaughter. And the question is, are government savings bonds the safest way to invest for a soon to be born granddaughter? That's a very interesting question because safest is different than maybe most efficient. So when you think about using bonds for higher education, um, that is a way that you can buy a bond. And usually when you buy a bond, there's a tax event when you redeem it. But if you use it for higher education, you don't have to pay the tax due on that. You file uh, an IRS form and you submit it with your tax returns. That said, it's not like my favorite thing. I got to be honest with you, because I know that if you want safety, there are other ways to be safe and use the 529 account. And I think now that the rules changed on 529 accounts, whereby if you open, this is again, this is part of the um, Secure Act 2.0. If you open a 529 plan, you fund it. And in this case, you wanted to, maybe you don't want to have very risky investments. You can choose safe choices in there. You open that account, as long as it's open for 15 years, you'll have a ability to move $35,000 into your beneficiary's Roth IRA later in life if you don't need the money. So it used to be that people would say, oh, I'm going to buy a savings bond because what if my kid doesn't go to school? Now it's even better, which is if your kid doesn't go to school, you can use up to $35,000 and make that available. So check that out. I think that will be uh, good for you. Okay. Next up, this is Karen who says, I am 70 years old. I'm in good health. 
I retired in 2015 from the federal government with a mortgage balance of $270,000. I don't have any other meaningful bills. I have an annual pension of just about $55,000 plus Social Security of $36,000. Karen is currently taking $18,000 from her 401k. So those are all the annual figures that she has uh, before taxes and deductions. She said, my 401k balance is $260,000 and I'm earning about 3.4%. So it's in an income fund. So the question, should I pay off my mortgage with my 401k or keep as is using my mortgage interest as part of my tax deductions? Karen, the big reason that we would not suggest that you use that money to pay off your mortgage is that, you know, I know the bill goes away, but so too does your access to the money. Your liquidity is reduced, meaning you could potentially, I guess, get a home equity loan or another mortgage later down the road if you needed it. But I'd rather you keep that money on hand, you know, at your age, at anyone's age. It's just so nice to know that you could have that. And to me, that liquidity is so much better than the maybe the sort of weight of carrying around what you think is like, oh, no, I hate that mortgage. It's much more important to have the liquidity. Okay, this is from Michelle, whose uh, husband is 75 years old and has Parkinson's disease. Oh, and he's also under treatment for cancer. Poor Michelle. He's a veteran. He is disabled. He receives $4,800 a month of a disability payment, $1,700 of Social Security, and I get Social Security of $700 a month. Uh, I'm 74. We have a tax exemption for our school and property taxes due to his disability. Our mortgage is paid off. We have a little under $300,000 in savings. We have no retirement accounts. I'm in pretty good health. This is a terrible situation. My goodness, I'm so sorry. When he passes away, the disability payment will also go away. Oh, so then... I may be eligible for a $1,500 a month survivor pension. So that would mean that she would have $1,500 a month plus the $700 or what happens then? Yeah, I think it's weird. She gets social security, but wouldn't she be better off, Mark, getting half of his? It looks like her social security benefit is lower than half of his. So number one, we'll have to check in on that, okay? The other part of this is that she'll stay in the house with the tax abatement. So she said, uh, our savings are in a low interest savings account. I'm planning to move them to a higher interest account. The house is not in good condition. Should I use money from our savings account towards renovating the house? I assume it will cost at least $100,000, if not more, or leave the house in disrepair and hang on to the savings. Oh, gosh, Uh, this is a terrible situation. So here's what I think has to happen here. Uh, She does say, by the way, they are just bankrolling the disability payment, which is good because that will add. So you you should move the $300,000 and move that into higher interest accounts. Like the previous question, access to your money is really important. So I would be careful not to do this house renovation Maybe for right now, while your husband is still alive, the house is fine and you can stay in it. But you didn't mention how much the house is worth. And I'm wondering whether you going that maybe in the future you may have to sell this house or do a reverse mortgage 
and get access to some of the money because I'm not clear that you're really going to be able to keep that house intact. And I really don't want you to use your access to that that big fat $300,000 cash and plunk it down on a house renovation. Again, I'm so sorry about the situation. It, it sounds so stressful just reading it. And so I hate to boil it down to just the uh, the bottom line numbers. So um, you can give us a holler if you want to come talk to us on the air about this, because I know this is a oof, terrible, terrible situation. Okay, Mike is 75 years old, and he's single. He's got no debt. He's got some monthly bills. He owns his house um, and a car. He's got 34 grand in an IRA, 250 grand in the bank. Social security and a small monthly pension pays for everything that I need and also allows me to save $5,000 a year. Oh my gosh. I had the IRA in a Vanguard mutual fund account. I just switched to JP Morgan to oversee it because I lost money. I'm thinking of purchasing a new car for $30,000. Would it be advisable to just cash the IRA instead of using the other money? You know what? I would cash that IRA out. Um, The thing is, it's going to add to your tax liability. Maybe it pops you up into the 24% bracket. Hopefully not. If it keeps you in 22%, then sure. I'd get rid of it. I'd cash it out. I'd buy your car and I'd move on. It's very rare that I say people should buy their... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to to uh, buy their car with their IRA assets. But given this guy's situation, I think it's fine. Uh, hi, Jill and Mark. This is from Rosanna. I'm sort of in the market for a new vehicle. I'm looking into EVs, which would save us a lot in gas. We live in a rural area and the Subaru that they own, a Forester with 140,000 miles, takes premium fuel. Okay. EVs are more expensive. I own the Subaru outright. I have for about five years and it's been so nice not having a car payment. According to calculators that I've used online, I would need to drive a new EV for five years to break even on the purchase price compared to similar gas-powered vehicles. The dealership's giving me a good price for my trade-in considering the miles, so I'm wondering, should I take advantage of that? If I drive it a few more years, I won't have any trade-in value at all, at all. but the prices of EVs might also come down. And the EV she's considering is not eligible for the $7,500 tax credits, probably because she's not looking at a U.S.-made car. But the car company is offering rebates now. So, Mark, should she buy an EV or keep driving the gas guzzler? Uh, my vote would be keep driving what you got. Me too. I'm I'm into like do it. Just just drive it into the ground. The EV market is going to get better and better. I say stay with what you got. And also, this is my bet also with uh just in general with EVs. I'm kind of betting that the technology gets better and better, the charging networks get better and better. So I'm feeling like, you know what? I'm going to drive mine into the ground. So join me. Join me, Rosie. And uh, we'll we'll be there together. I'm hoping, Mark, that I can do like maybe three more years. That's my goal. How how many miles on your car, Mark? What are you talking about? Oh, wait, hold on. How many miles are on your car? A hundred and five thousand. Okay, you've definitely got three more years. I have. I think. Uh, I think maybe I just hit seventeen thousand. Oh, I love that. Well, that's like our little car. We have like this teeny, teeny tiny little Mini Cooper that has, I think, 6,000 miles on it. Hard to believe. We've had this car for six years now, 17,000. And you do drive it. You just don't drive long distance. No, we drive in the city. Right. 
If you would like to talk cars or anything else that is remotely associated with the dollar bill, give us a holler. Go to JillOnMoney.com, click the Contact Us button, and uh, don't forget to let us know if you would like to join us. Mark does everything else. Don't forget that you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. It comes out every single Friday. And Mark does a wonderful job aggregating great content from other folks out there. So do that. Leave us a rating and review on Apple and try to lift someone up. Change your work, change your wealth, change your life. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 